time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Greetings, friends and patriots. Welcome to our midweek edition of The Financial Physician. I'm Lou Scatigna, certified financial planner and your host for two podcasts a week. Our main podcast, Sunday morning, two hours, and our midweek podcast runs anywhere from about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes, whatever I need to cover on the show, but certainly not as long as Sunday's program. Thanks so much for joining us, and remember to share the podcast with people you think could benefit by it. That's the only way the podcast grows. Uh, Let's start off going back to the book. Uh, I realized last week, uh, I realized today actually when I was preparing for the show, that I was talking about a chapter in the book called uh, Believing That uh, Wall Street Has Your Best Interest at Heart. And I was talking about all the problems with Wall Street and how they're not for investors, they're they're for themselves and uh, talked about all kinds of fines and crimes that they've committed. And today I realized that chapter is one of the five chapters that never made it into the final edition of the Financial Physician book. Uh, I took it from a manuscript that I have on my word processor, and that is the one that had all 25 chapters in it. So you had a bonus chapter last week uh, of the book. And um, through the course of this uh, course, if you will, on the Financial Physician, I'm, I'm going to include the chapters that were left out, or at least most of them, because I, I thought they were very important. I wanted them in the book. But the publisher, as publishers often do, uh, always try to cut it back. And I guess that has to do with cost and printing and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, let's go back to the book. And this chapter is in the book, and it's entitled, Not Understanding the Impact of Inflation. And just a reminder, the title of these chapters are the reasons why people fail financially. And this one is just not understanding the impact of inflation. Now, inflation is... uh, to use a medical analogy, which I often do as the financial physician, uh, inflation is a slow-moving cancer in the financial body, and it erodes our purchasing power. And most of the time, inflation is relatively slow, so it kind of creeps up on us. But at times, inflation is really serious, like it is right now. And as we go along, I'll tell you why. I think it's going to get a lot more serious. So it's important that you understand this because when I wrote this chapter, it was 2009. Inflation was very low right then. But I thought it was important to include it in the book because the book goes on forever. And we certainly are going to be living through inflationary times in the future. And it started last year. Uh, and it's a, it's a function always of the money supply. You know, when governments uh, deficit spend or in the case of COVID, printed all that money for stimulus, trillions of dollars. That is an expansion of the money supply, and money supply growth means inflation, price increases. It always works that way. It's uh, The recipe never changes in economics. There's economics laws of nature, and this is one of them. 
you create a lot of currency, it always causes inflation. Maybe not initially, but eventually that's the case. Now, deflation is the opposite of inflation. Uh, that's when the money supply decreases due to the fact that the economy is usually in recession or there is a credit crunch and credit's not available for people, so there's no money to buy things. If it's hard to get a mortgage because interest rates are so high and uh, the credit qualifications are so high, then you're going to see housing prices go down, obviously. If there's no money to buy houses, then houses aren't going to sell. Prices are going to come down. And the same is true of the prices of other things. Demand goes down because credit's not available. The money supply is shrinking. The economy's in recession. That's how you have deflation. Now, governments prefer inflation over deflation because deflation means bankruptcies. It means economic contraction, depression, or worse. So governments want to avoid deflation at all costs. Now, you think deflation is good. Their prices will go down. Well, if you have a $200,000 mortgage on your home that you bought for $250,000 and your home drops to $150,000, do you like deflation? No. Or your equity is gone, you're upside down on your your mortgage. Not a good situation. Chances are you're going to be foreclosed upon. Businesses start shutting down. Deflation is not good. Now, it's certainly good when you go to the grocery store if the price of steaks and eggs and produce is going down. That's a good thing, but you certainly don't want to see your financial assets go down, whether it's your uh, your real estate, your stock portfolio, and that's what happens in, the play, in deflation. So when you try to build wealth, inflation is the enemy because it reduces the value of what you earn, and inflation forces you to swim against the tide. And like uh, strong currents in the ocean, uh, inflation can exhaust you and, 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 and your money may drag you under, especially if you compound inflation over a long time. And inflation's insidious. As I said, it sneaks up on us, mostly. And since it tends to increase in relatively small increments, we don't immediately feel its effect. Then sometimes later, we realize that everything we buy is costing us so much more. And another hidden uh, fact about inflation is that it compounds. And as inflation compounds, it has a negative effect because it decreases our purchasing power and it progressively piles up. And in time, the amount of losses can be quite substantial. Now, that's what, you know, we're going to talk about inflation and investments, but, you know, the worst place to have money during inflation is the bank. It's guaranteed places that yield relatively little. Because you always have to look at the real rate of return on money. And I explained that last week, uh, and I'll do it again. You know, the real rate of return on money is how much you earn on your money, how much you keep after taxes, and then you compare that to the inflation rate. So if you um, earn 4% on a CD and you pay 25% of that uh, in taxes, that leaves you with 3%. And if inflation is 5%, your real rate of return is negative. It's negative 2%. So you've lost 2% in real purchasing power under that scenario. Now, for many people, it's even more dramatic. You know, you're earning 1% in the bank and inflation 7%. Uh, your real rate of return is minus 6 So in one year, your purchasing power on that money has dropped 6%. 
And that's why when you have big inflation numbers come out, it's very, very important you understand that this is killing you. And people are getting religion very quickly now on inflation. You know, many people haven't really seen inflation. I mean, the last inflation we had that was meaningful inflation was the early 80s. You know, that's 40-something years ago, and I remember it. Due to my advanced age, um, I was in my 20s. I was in my early 20s during that time frame. And I remember that inflation. If you remember Jimmy Carter, um, and now we have Joe Biden. Uh, why is it always Democrats that are in office when we have a bad inflation? So governments try to control inflation because once it starts moving, once it get the genie gets out of the bottle, it could spread like wildfire. It starts slowly and then can quickly erupt out of control and be hard to stop. And when inflation starts kicking up, expectations of inflation fan the flames. What do I mean by that? Um, say you believe that the price of any good will go up, I don't know, 25% in the next three months, whether it be coffee or soup or whatever it is. What are you going to do? You're going to go out and buy as much of you as you can now because it's going to be more expensive later. And you're not the only one who's going to be doing it. And the problem that we have is that we have just-in-time supply chains. What does that mean? It means that there's not a lot in warehouses. It's pretty predictable how much a supermarket is going to sell cans of coffee a week. I mean, it just doesn't, doesn't vary very much until inflation kicks in or shortages kick in. That's another thing that, that, that can affect inflation is obviously supply and demand of goods. And that's part of the inflation we're seeing now. And that's part of the inflation now we're starting to see in energy prices. As oil today, as I'm recording this on Wednesday, September 27th, is up $2 a barrel today. It was $92, uh, I think, 40 cents a barrel last I looked. On its way to 100 and possibly 150. Why is that? It's because OPEC is cutting back production. It's a supply and demand issue. It's not really a monetary issue. But when inflation expectations start to grow and people fear that the value of their money is going to decrease, they want to spend their money now when prices are still relatively cheap or at least cheaper than they're going to be tomorrow or next month or next year. And those inflationary expectations are self-fulfilling because what's going to happen to the price of coffee if everybody's trying to buy it and the store runs out of it? Right? It's going to go up. So that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So each month, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the, the BLS, or I call them BS for short because it's bull, you know what? This is the most manipulated, one of the most manipulated government statistics that come out is the CPI. Because they've changed it over the years. They've changed it so many times just to make it look better than it really is. But each month, you know, everybody looks at the CPI, the Bureau of Labor Statistics comes out and comes out with the number. You could probably double it. That's probably the, the real inflation. And if you calculate it the way they used to calculate it in the 1980s, we're right where we were then, which was the worst inflation we experienced in this country, at least that I, I'm aware of. 
So uh, inflation has to be part of your financial planning. And again, uh, money deposit in the savings account, you think it's safe, it's secure. You're the most risky of anybody when it comes to inflation because you're going to be eaten alive because your purchasing power is going to steadily decline. So I I coined the phrase years ago. I said, when your money, all your money is in the bank, you're going broke safely. Your money's safe, won't go down, you won't lose any. But what you will lose is purchasing power of that money. So when you have high inflation, savings, cash, money market accounts, low-yielding vehicles are the worst place to have your money. And as I said, one year is not a big deal, but if you compound that over 10 years or 20 years, you're slowly, slowly falling behind the inflation train. And uh, too many people have retired, you know, they thought they were in good financial shape because they have built up relatively nice nest eggs. Uh, Then inflation nibbled away at their purchasing power. And now many people who were comfortable in retirement when they first retired, now 10, 15 years later, they're struggling to put food on the table. And that's why inflation is so bad. So make preserving your purchasing power the number one goal in your financial life. Focus on a real rate of return on your money. Again, it's the amount of return on your investments minus taxes and minus the rate of inflation. If it's positive, you're growing wealth. Your money's growing above the rate of inflation. If it's negative, you have a negative real rate of return. You're losing wealth or you're losing purchasing power. So adjust your portfolio to at least make it close to zero. If your real rate of return, real rate of return on your money is zero, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That simply means that your money has kept pace with inflation. And that's really the goal that we have. Number one is that we want to at least keep pace with inflation. Yeah, it'd be nice if we could get returns that are greater than inflation because now we're really building wealth. Another thing you have to look at is is your salary going up at a rate that's greater than inflation. So there's two things here. There's your portfolio, there's your savings, and then there's your income. Because if your income goes up uh, 4% this year, but inflation goes up 7%, you're losing, you're, you're, you're behind the eight ball. You're not making enough income to keep up with inflation. That's what's been happening for years in America, is real, real wage growth has um, not kept pace with inflation. And if that's the case, then you're going to start spending your savings to make up for the difference. And we'll talk later on how Americans are going so far into debt right now because they can't keep pace with inflation. So what do you do during inflation? What are inflation beating investments? And now I'm talking to clients now, new clients that come in. I don't care how much money they have. I said your biggest risk right now is that you're going to have a lot of dollars that are worth a lot less in the years to come. Or we may even have hyperinflation where the value of the dollar disappears. And by the way, that's going to happen. Uh, I don't know when. Hopefully it's not anytime soon, but it's going to happen. We're going to enter a hyperinflationary period prior, just like Rome did, the Weimar Republic, 
Yugoslavia in the 40s, Zimbabwe, Argentina, because we're doing the exact same things they did. So it's inevitable that that's what's going to happen. But there's things you can do to protect yourself from inflation. And that's owning real things. Tangible assets. Well, what's tangible assets? Commodities. Oil. Precious metals. Real estate. And even stocks. They tend to perform well in inflationary periods. Well, why would stocks perform well in inflationary periods? Because if the dollar declines... It takes more dollars to buy a share of the same company. So if IBM is $100 a share and the dollar drops 50%, IBM now is worth $200 a share to be worth the same exact amount of enterprise value. So stocks tend to perform well in inflation. But the number one thing to own in inflation has always been precious metals. Buying gold and silver has historically been the number one hedge against inflation. And 50 years ago, one ounce of gold could buy a good quality man's suit, and the same holds true today. And that's purchasing power protection. Now, gold is close to its all-time high right now. You know, I think its all-time high was a little over $2,000 an ounce. It's now $1,900 and change. Um... Silver, not so much. Silver is about 50% off its all-time high. But silver and gold in an inflationary environment will protect you. And why is that? Because gold is real money. It has no liabilities. You have no counterparty risk with it. It can't be printed. It could be mined, but mining was very slow. And historically, going way back, Thousands of years, gold has been real money. Paper money is not real money. It's currency. And when you have fiat currency, which means currency that's backed by nothing but the full faith and credit of the government issuing it, uh, then uh, that paper is going to erode. But if you have gold and silver, well, you know, if I buy my gold, my ounce of gold at at 1900 and inflation, you know, runs 100 percent over the next few years, uh, my $2,000 coin is now going to be worth $4,000, almost exactly the inflation rate gain. Now, people tell me, oh, Lou, you can't eat gold. (laughs) But people don't understand. I could sell that ounce of gold for $4,000 and be able to afford the inflated prices on all the goods that I I would buy. And if the currency collapses, nothing says I have to ever turn it back into dollars. I could turn my my gold into Swiss francs, euros, yen, the new brick currency, which will be backed by commodities and gold. Maybe Bitcoin. I don't have to ever turn it into dollars. And that's the great thing about gold and silver. It's universal money. It's priced in all different currencies. Right now, gold is priced uh, record highs in, in most currencies around the world. So gold is number one. And I've been talking to people about it almost every day in my conference room now. you got to think about inflation protection. Now, how much should you put into it? That varies. I mean, you know, gold and silver, one thing we know about it is volatile. 
It can go up or down 10%, 15%, even 20% in a month. And you got to be able to handle those fluctuations. So you don't go out and you put all your money, all your investments in gold and silver. I mean, that would be, that would be foolish. But maybe 5%, maybe 10%, maybe 15%. Back when I was in financial planning school many moons ago, the late 80s, uh, early 90s, uh, we, um, we were taught uh, that part of an asset allocation, if you think of the pie with the different slices in it, there was always a 10 to 15% wedge for precious metals as a hedge against inflation, as a protection against financial collapse. And that disappeared in the 90s and the 2000s because uh, investments, stocks and bonds were all the rage. It's bull market. And nobody wanted gold. Gold had gone down to $254 an ounce at one point in the 90s. What a great time to buy it. And everybody was saying on Wall Street that gold is an, an ancient relic. It no longer has value. It doesn't pay interest, doesn't pay dividends. And nobody wanted it. And we didn't have inflation. People want it today. So what are commodities? Uh, commodities are items that we consume every day. Commodities uh, such as food and energy rise during periods of inflation. So buying shares of commodity-related companies that produce commodities uh, or commodity um, commodities themselves uh, enable, enable you to keep pace. And there's a proliferation of ETFs out there now that you could buy an ETF that um, only has energy-related investments. Stocks in like ExxonMobil, uh, even futures contracts on oil. Wow, you did really well with that, especially the last few months um, there. Or you could buy uh, ETFs that uh, only own agricultural commodities, wheat, corn, coffee, orange juice, which we'll talk about that commodity rising in value. Record prices, actually, in orange juice. We'll talk about that in a second. Again, part of it's inflation, part of it is um, disease, part of it is weather. But that's, if you owned orange juice, you remember uh, trading places. They were trading futures in frozen concentrated orange juice. If not my favorite movie of all time, my, one of my top five. And most people don't even understand what's going on when they're shorting it and then they're buying it back when it drops. Great movie. What's next to protect yourself from inflation? Uh, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, also known as TIPS. TIPS principal value is adjusted uh, up when inflation goes up. And it's adjusted down when deflation is happening. It pays a small amount of interest. I think right now TIPS are paying about 1% in interest a 10-year tip. But if you have, um, you know, 5% inflation next year, they're going to add 5% to your principal. It's not going to change your interest rate like I-bonds do, which I'll talk about in a second. 
It's just going to be added to your principal. So let's say we have a $10,000. We just go out and buy a $10,000 tip bond. And uh, it pays us 1% interest, which we'll get semi-annually. We'll get that half of 1%. And then we have 10% inflation. Well, that $10,000 principal now is going to be worth $11,000. And that's the way tips work. Tips are great in the major inflationary period. They're horrible when inflation is not high. They don't pay very much. And you could buy them in mutual funds. Uh, You could buy individual tips. Uh, they're good in, in, in inflation. And they're, and they're also guaranteed by the government. So that gives you another, another kicker there. How about I-bonds, I-savings bonds? You know, they would have been all the rage the last couple of years because they pay a fixed interest rate and they're added to the interest rate is the inflation rate. And if you remember in the summer of uh, 2022, between May 1st and November 1st of 2022, For those six months, you were earning 9.7% in a guaranteed U.S. savings bond. Now, that's come down substantially because the inflation rate, again, according to the government, the CPI is only now like, what, 3.7%. Do you really buy that? Do you really believe inflation year over year is only up 3.7%? That's ridiculous. Gasoline prices are up 25%. How could that be? Because it's all bull. That's why. And because inflation is manipulated through the CPI, it does a number of things. That saves the government a lot of money. A, it keeps the interest on I-bonds and tips down. Less money the government has to pay in debt service. It also keeps your cost of living adjustments down, whether it's a federal pension or Social Security. Last year, 2022, well, actually this year, you know, we got the raise on January 1st. It was over 9% the cost of living adjustment. And we haven't seen that kind of cost of living adjustment since 1980 when inflation was high. But that's, again, because the CPI has been manipulated lower. It looks like the uh, COLA for 2024 Uh, starting January 1st, is only going to be 3.2%. And we'll know that for sure in a few weeks. It may be 3.3, it may be 3.1, but 3.2 is what uh, most economists are estimating based on all the CPI data that's in so far. So you see what happens? You know, seniors listening to me on Social Security, do you think 3.2% increase in your, your Social Security is going to keep you um, it pays with the cost of living? Of course not. It's ridiculous. Uh, so what do you, um, what else do you, you, you want to buy in inflation? High dividend paying stocks. So if you're um, getting a dividend that's 4 or 5% in a stock uh, and inflation's running about that rate, uh, then you, you got enough income coming from that stock. And also, as I said earlier, stocks tend to appreciate during inflation. What about deflation? Now, deflation is far less common than inflation. But they do occur during severe economic contraction, such as the great financial crisis. We saw major deflation in real estate. We saw deflation in stock prices, 50%. We saw uh, deflation in commodities, 
prices. We saw uh, deflation in gold. Not a lot. It was temporary, but we, we saw it. So what are um, some of the um, two best investments in deflation? Well, in deflation, the Fed tends to lower interest rates to stimulate the economy because deflation happens in an economy that's stagnant, in recession, or in depression. So to try to stimulate the economy, get it back on track, the Fed lowers interest rates. What happens to bond prices when interest rates go down? They go up. Bond prices go down during inflation. So the worst thing that are own during an inflationary period is a 30-year U.S. Treasury bond because the longer the maturity, the more it's going to drop. When, infl- when interest rates drop, that's what you want to own, a long-term U.S. Treasury bond or municipal bond or corporate bond because bond prices rise during deflation. How about gold? Now, now, why is gold on both the inflation and the deflation list? Because gold tends to perform well during both inflation and deflationary periods. History tells us that. Investors buy gold as a safe haven uh, in time of financial instability and uncertainty. Uh, even after a brief decline when the stock market you know, uh, crashed in 2008, gold rose even though we, we saw deflation in real estate and, and financial markets. Another great thing to do uh, during deflation is to pay off debt. Now, now paying off debt is not an investment, uh, but it makes sense to eliminate as much debt as possible during a deflationary period because debt becomes more burdensome during these periods when asset prices uh, are falling. As I, I said before, you know, you have a $200,000 mortgage and now your house dropped and it's now worth one hundred and fifty. dollars uh, You're paying a lot more for that house than it's worth. And chances are you're going to walk away from it. It's going to be foreclosed on you. Also, during deflation, it's a good chance you're going to lose your job. You're going to be in a recession. You're going to be in a, um, a dip, dip, depression. People have less money to spend, which may make it more difficult to pay off your debt. But debt is magnified in deflation, and debt shrinks in inflation. So why does debt become less burdensome in inflation? Because the value of the dollar goes down. So if the value of the dollar goes down, the value of a dollar of debt goes down. You see how that works? Again, if the dollar is losing value, so is debt, denominated in dollars. And that's why governments tend to... uh, inflate away their debt. They never default on their bonds, usually. They just keep printing money to pay the interest and the principal on the bonds. And uh, you get your money back, but your money isn't worth very much. That's called inflation default. And that's what governments do. So look at where your money is. If you have a financial advisor, talk to them about, you know, what you can do to protect yourself against the coming inflation, which I think is going to be massive. It has to be. There's no question about it. It's just a financial fact. It's just a calculation. Um, We are going to be seeing one and a half to two trillion dollar deficits at least for the next couple of years. And probably they're going to be bigger later on because our debt's going to be bigger. The interest expense on that debt's going to continue to grow. And money will have to be printed. 
So it's inevitable that we're going to have inflation and inflation is here to stay. Inflation is not a one or two year phenomenon usually. I mean, we went 40 years of very, very low inflation. Uh, and now we have high inflation. And uh, my guess is going to be with us for at least 10 years or at least until uh, hyperinflation hits and we have the Great Reset, whatever that is. So just um, make sure you uh, understand what inflation is, how it works, and how you can protect yourself. And the number one way to do it is to buy precious metals. Go buy some gold and silver coins. Also, you could, um, if you have IRA accounts, you could buy exchange-traded funds that, that own gold, own, own silver. And if you buy, want to find, um, know the specifics of that, email me. I'll be more than happy to uh, suggest certain ETFs that I think uh, would be worth looking into. And uh, hopefully inflation will subside. The government's telling us that it has, but I don't believe them. All right, let's take a short break. My name is Lou Scatigna. You're listening to The Financial Physician. Don't go away. Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Scatigna here, certified financial planner, personal finance author, president of AFM Investments. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan and discuss strategies to protect your estate from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever, but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no-obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company, member FINRA and SIPC. Registered advisory services through Argentus Advisors. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates. You want to get in touch with me? It's real easy. Just email me at lou, L-O-U, at thefinancialphysician.com. Get a lot of emails from our listeners. I really love it when you guys communicate with me. If you want me to cover something on a program, let me know if there's something I could help you with. And these are the best emails. When someone emails me with a problem and I could uh, point them in the right direction or straighten it out for them, uh, that makes my day. You never bother me with uh, a financial problem or a financial question. Just email me at lou at thefinancialphysician.com. And remember, we have two podcasts now. The last couple of months since we left the radio station, we run our podcast on Sunday as usual, our full two-hour program up by 9 a.m. Uh, I've added a midweek podcast on Wednesdays, which we have up usually by 4 p.m. Uh, so we get uh, about an hour, hour and 15 minutes on our Wednesday program. So we have three hours worth of podcast for you each and every week. And, and please share the link with friends and family, put it on your social media. Uh, it's up to you guys to help get the word out about the Financial Physician 
podcast. It's the only way it grows. Also, I want to remind you, I, I do videotape uh, the opening uh, segment of the program. I have a really cool uh, video studio I, I built in my home uh, with really nice background and everything else. So you want to check that out. Uh, the pod, uh, the video is usually up, uh, you know, a few days after the podcast. It has to be edited and, and uploaded and everything else. But uh, go to the blog, uh, and you'll see on the blog, you'll see where we have the podcast, um, the video podcast of um, the opening of the show. So if you want to see what I look like or you want to um, uh, just watch the show, at least the first half hour, 40 minutes, it's available uh, at thefinancialphysician.com. And we also, that's on Rumble. We also have a Rumble channel. Just look me up, Lou Scatigna, or The Financial Physician, and you'll see all of our videos that we have uh, on Rumble. Now, we were talking inflation in this first section, and uh, I mentioned orange juice. Uh, Orange juice futures have surged to record highs this week as stockpiles of um, U.S. orange juice tumble to a 50-year low. And why is this? Well, citrus groves have been battered by years of disease and hurricanes. Uh, And it's not going to come back anytime soon. This is not a one-year thing. And it's a perfect storm that's hitting the orange juice market. And you've seen supermarket prices go up. And the only reason it hasn't gone up a lot more is because we've been importing 55% more orange juice from Brazil. And that's making at least some dent into the shortages of orange juice. And... uh, we're looking at the lowest level of orange juice inventory since December 1968. Um, so it seems that anything related to breakfast, if you like breakfast, uh, much more expensive these days. Whether you're talking about eggs, you're talking about pork products, you're talking about orange juice, everything's going up. So our standard of living is being systematically destroyed. And people are starting to learn that uh, the cost of living is a real thing. And when it increases more than we're earning, it obviously affects our our standard of living. And now we're seeing um, affordability of housing out of control. And a recent article came out. This is the headline. Almost half of all young adults in the United States are living with their parents. And that's not a good sign for our economy, for our system. When half of young adults find themselves having to live with their parents. And look, some people are lazy and they don't want to work uh, to make enough money to, to support themselves. But most, I think most young adults, I would think, don't actually want to live with their parents. If they had the opportunity, I'm sure they'd love to have their own homes would be able to afford rent on their own apartment. But unfortunately for them, home prices have risen so high to ridiculous levels that housing now in America is more unaffordable than it's ever been. And I feel bad for all these young people that are struggling right now. A lot of them have you know piles of student loan debt. And much of that debt is starting to become payable again next month. And the problem is they, they borrowed all this money to go to college, but then they didn't get a degree that gives them a good job so they could afford to live off on their own. 
And because of this, uh, vast numbers of American young adults are finding it necessary to move back with their parents. And this is not really a good thing for society. So when was the last time such a high percentage of young adults were living with their parents? Well, it was during the aftermath of the Great Depression. And back then, you know, women, young women usually lived at home until they got married. Not like now. So it's even worse. Now, why is this happening? Well, high interest rates, obviously. This week, the average rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage, I think, is 7.25. And they're going higher. Uh, As I speak, um, the 10-year U.S. Treasury bond is yielding uh, 4.52, the highest level it's been in decades. And mortgage rates are tied to it. So as long as yields keep going up in the 10-year U.S. Treasury market, mortgage rates are going to continue to go up. And I wouldn't be surprised to see eight-plus mortgage soon. So that's made the cost of buying a home so so high. Not to mention the uh, inflation of housing prices, and you have an unaffordable situation in housing. And... Um, you know, a, whole, a house, here's an example in this article. A house sold in 2021 for 685000 And uh, the buyer's monthly payment during that time, given interest rates at that time, was 3526 Today, if you buy that same home with the appreciation of the value of the home and higher interest rates, the same exact home cost $8,402. That's ridiculous. Who could afford that? I mean, it's tough to afford three thousand five twenty-six, uh, let alone eight thousand four hundred and two. So this is pretty nuts. So uh, millions of potential buyers are now sidelined, and millions of potential sellers are sidelined as well because if they sell their house, they're going to need to purchase another home, and they're going to have to get a mortgage that's seven what percent. When they currently have a mortgage, that's three and a half. So many of us can't afford to move. And that's obviously one of the things that are depressing home sales right now. Nothing's moving. And in August, sales of previously home declined again. We're down 15.3% from the already depressed levels of last year at this time. And who's to blame? Well, the Federal Reserve, they created this mess. With the high interest rates, and recently they've stated last week that uh, they may have to raise some more, and they may have to keep it higher longer. And unfortunately, uh, it's really causing a strange dynamic in society right now. How about rent? All right, you can't afford a house? Go go rent an apartment. Well... The national median, uh, median asking rent in the United States now is over 2000 a month. Can you imagine that? 2000 a month to rent an apartment. I remember when I first got married, uh, I rented a one-bedroom apartment uh, in an apartment building. It was an old apartment building. I paid $675 a month. I imagine that same apartment right now is probably close to 2000 a month. Now, of course, that was 30-some years ago, and uh, everything's more expensive now than it was 30-some years ago. 
But I don't see much help on the horizon. I, you know, the Fed's not going to cut interest rates anytime soon unless something really bad happens. And um, hopefully parents, uh, you like your kids, and your kids, you like your parents. Because you're going to be spending a lot of time together. I came across this on the internet now. Talk about inflation. Um, I came across a, a, an article about a woman that found a receipt in a shoebox from 1986 for Burger King. At the time, you could buy a Whopper for $1.54. That same Whopper today is going to cost you $6.79. Quite a big difference, eh? <laughs> what are we talking? 30 years, not even? Yeah, four, yeah, it's more than 30 years. Actually, 37 years. So a single Whopper today costs $6.79, over four times the price from 1986. In other words, if you had $6.79 back then, you could buy four Whoppers, and you'd still have money left over. Now you can only buy one. This is what inflation does. This is how inflation destroys purchasing power. And now people, you know, they're stressed out. Even people make $100,000 a year. It's not enough. And just more bad news keeps coming. And I hate the depression with all this. Headline, the child poverty rate in the United States has more than doubled. Uh, that's outrageous. How could a country like America have the poverty rate for children double? We're seeing... Uh, delinquency rates. You know, I was talking about affordability of homes and stuff, but people can't even afford the homes they're already in. And uh, delinquency rates are soaring. Sales of previously owned homes have declined by more than 32% over the past two years. Inflation is starting to rise at a frightening pace again. And now we're seeing companies all around America laying off workers. So the U.S. poverty rate, according to the Supplemental Poverty Measure, the SPM, uh, was 12.4% in 2022. That's a rise of 4.6 percentage points from 2021. The poverty rate for children more than doubled year over year from 5.2% to 12.4%, a record increase. You can't spin this any other way. This is horrible. And it's due to inflation for the most part. You know, all those nice stimulus checks, yeah, they were nice when they lasted. But they also were part of the cause of the inflation that we're experiencing today. And uh, I think this relatively short pause in uh, inflation, I guess, according to uh, the government, is going to accelerate now due to rising energy prices, due to rising food prices. And I, I, I just uh, feel so bad for the middle class because more and more people are falling out of it. And, you know, Bidenomics, it's working for everybody, right? How about this headline? The hits keep coming, people. Nearly half of student loan borrowers plan to default. Half are not going to pay it back. Uh... 45% uh, of student loan borrowers expect to go delinquent when payments resume next month. 
They're just not going to pay it. Well, that's bad for a number of reasons. You know, 40% of the United States government's assets is student loan debt. The money that's owed us in student loans. And meanwhile, you got Biden wanting to cancel it all. And then you got half of Americans who have student loan debt saying they're not going to pay it. Well, the first thing that's going to do is hurt your credit score. So if you uh, just think you're going to walk away from your student loans, it's going to wreak havoc with your credit scores. You'll have trouble accessing credit in the future. You won't be able to buy a home, a car, get a credit card, or maybe rent an apartment. And that's the thing about bad credit. Uh, It's like a financial scar that, that, that takes years to heal. And if you go bankrupt on that credit, you know, 10 years, you might as well know that you, you better you better have cash to buy anything. And uh, it's going to hurt the government. Most student loans in the United States are backed by the federal government. So when borrowers default, the government takes a hit. And our budget is already strained. I'll talk about stuff we're wasting money on in just a little bit. And uh, now the fear of student loan debt, you know, is people are, 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 are not wanting to go to college now. They're seeing what's happened to their brothers, their sisters, their aunts and uncles who have graduated from college with some bullcrap degree, can't get a good job, can barely pay uh, enough money to live, or living with their parents in many cases, as they just said. And why do I want to go to college? What do I want to go in all that debt and only to graduate with terrible job opportunities uh, and terrible debt? All right, let's uh, switch gears a little bit here. Um, Did you know that the United States, you and me, are paying the salaries for 50, something like 54, 57,000 first responders in Ukraine? Did you know? that we're subsidizing small businesses in Ukraine? Did you know that we're funding the pensions in the pension system in Ukraine? Ukraine is one big black hole of money. God knows how much of it is being absconded by corrupt politicians, corrupt businessmen, how much is being kicked back to uh, politicians in this, uh, in this country, how much is going to the big guy? And now Zelensky is back in Washington last week looking for $24 billion more. When I just told you Americans are falling into poverty, can't afford housing. Veterans are on the street. Homelessness is skyrocketing because nobody could afford a house or an apartment anymore. And we're sending all this money over. So, so 60 Minutes did a piece on Sunday exposing this. Listen to this. American taxpayers are financing more than just weapons. We discovered the U.S. government's buying seeds and fertilizer for Ukrainian farmers and covering the salaries of Ukraine's first responders, all 57,000 of them. That includes the team that trains this rescue dog named Joy to comb through the wreckage of Russian strikes looking for survivors. And the U.S. also funds the divers, who we saw clearing unexploded ammunition from the country's rivers. 
to make them safe again for swimming and fishing. Russia's invasion shrank Ukraine's economy by about a third. We were surprised to find that to keep it afloat, the U.S. government is subsidizing small businesses. Yeah, go watch the entire segment uh, on this. This infuriates me. We're talking about inflation in this country, money printing, deficits, debts that we have, poverty, homelessness. And uh, we're sending billions and billions of dollars to a foreign country that's not even an ally of us, not even part of NATO. Doesn't that make your blood boil? Uh, Am I able on my tax return uh, this year to list Ukraine as a dependent? And uh, it's all going into a black hole. How much of that do you think is really going to help in Ukraine win the war? And now we're sending over missiles and some tanks. Those tanks will be just targeted by Russia immediately and they'll be blown up. At a cost of what? It's unbelievable what's going on there. It's time to stop backing Ukraine. It's time to force them into negotiations to end this war before it turns into World War III. And it seems that the powers that be, whoever the hell they are, want us in World War III. I'm sure all the defense contractors do. And the military-industrial complex that benefits by war, endless wars. Do you realize that we've been at war in one form or the other For 25 years straight, without a break. It's just unbelievable. And who benefits by it? Well, not you and me. What a waste of money. The trillions of dollars we've spent on warfare that could have gone to better use, more productive use here in the United States. And it just doesn't end. And like Trump says, Trump's our only hope. Maybe the world's only hope to avoid destruction. Because he said that in 24 hours, he'd have this war ended. And once the United States pulls the plug on Ukraine, they have no choice but to negotiate for peace and rebuild. I mean, how many more Ukrainians have to die before they're going to want to do that? I guess I guess Zelensky and Biden or whoever is pulling his strings don't care about the death, destruction, dismemberment, the children that are be killed the destruction of the Ukrainian country and the Ukrainian people. What are they going to do? Fight to the last Ukrainian? Give the Russians their Russian land with their Russian-speaking people that want to be Russian, set a new border, and rebuild the country. And of course, you know who's going to pay for their rebuilding, right? You and me. We'll be building all kinds of great things for them. Houses, buildings, office buildings, hospitals. Why, why, why our infrastructure falls apart. It's insane. Everything that's going on is insane. And um, this week, uh, uh, one day this week, we had the largest number of um, immigrants, illegal criminals coming into our country in one day. Something like over 10,000. And you know what? The Biden administration is opening the fences for them. They're taking down the razor wire. 
They're letting them in and letting them be dispersed amongst the country. There's, there's a plan here. Don't you see it? There's a plan here to destroy America from, from the inside. And, uh, you know, it's obvious, I think, to everybody, Joe Biden is not going to be president. He's not going to be the candidate in November. You could tell the media is starting to turn on him. They're starting to freak out, actually. A lot of Democrats are. You see the Democratic pundits like Carvel coming out, and they're all saying, Joe can't do it. So obviously, Joe's not going to be the candidate. So who's it going to be? Well, Ted Cruz kind of agrees with me because I've told you this um, months ago that Joe wasn't going to be the candidate and one or two people that I thought would be the candidate. Now, Ted Cruz um, has his own podcast. um, And the good thing about a podcast is you pretty much could say whatever you want. Uh, whereas normally on normal news shows and stuff, you have to be careful. You, you answer the questions that you're asked. But on a podcast, like my podcast here, I can say whatever I want. At least for now I can. Until they start dragging people like me out to jail for something we said, which they're already doing anyway. So listen to uh, Ted Cruz and what how he thinks this is going to play out for the Democrats. If it's just the kingmakers saying, nope, we pick you, whoever doesn't get picked, everyone else is pissed. So here's the scenario that I think is perhaps most likely and most dangerous. In August of 2024, the Democrat kingmakers jettison Joe Biden and parachute in Michelle Obama. And I want you to pause and reflect on that. Oh, I'm pausing and I'm reflecting as we said, and so is everybody else listening right now. I view this as a very serious danger. I'm smiling right now because it terrifies me, and I also could totally see this happening. So Michelle Obama, number one, you don't infuriate African-American women, which is a critical part of the constituency that Democrats are relying on to win. But number two, you avoid the problem. If you pick from any of the four, the other three are pissed because they're all, to some extent, peers, they're rivals, they're all jabbing knives at each other. Michelle Obama, because she was first lady, has the ability to kind of parachute in above all four and say, hey, we're not picking among any of you. You guys can all fight it out next time. You're all going to be on the same level. We're coming. This is the Obamas saving the day. And I think in terms of a solution that unifies Democrats, there ain't nothing like that. I also think Michelle is not all that eager to run for president, but to parachute in in August of 24, a couple of months before the presidency, and suddenly wake up and be president? Not a bad gig. Not a bad gig. It's not a bad gig at all. Now, would she do it? I don't know. I've met Michelle, but I don't know her personally in any meaningful way. I don't know if she would do it. I do think... Barack Obama is already running the Biden administration. I think he is already the puppet master behind this Biden White House. I don't think Joe Biden is the decision maker. And so when I see the media turning on Joe Biden right now, I think the odds of Michelle Obama parachuting in in August of 2024 have risen dramatically. And that ought to scare the hell out of anyone who who 
is unhappy about the direction this country is going and doesn't want us to go even crazier in an even worse direction. Yeah, Michelle Obama, she, she's qualified to be uh, president of the United States um, because she was married to the president of the United States. So what will this be? This will be uh, the fourth Obama administration, fourth term, maybe fifth term if reelected again. Obama and his minions have been patrolling the United States of America, uninterrupted except for the four years of Trump. And now they're going to look for eight more years using Michelle Obama. I, th- I think Ted Cruz is spot on on this. I think this is exactly what's going to happen. But what about the primaries? I mean, if you're the four candidates, the ones he's talking about uh, is Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Gavin Newsom, and Peter Buttigieg. That those are the ones that are in the primary. They may be in the primaries or maybe vying for uh, uh, the nomination if Joe steps down. He's saying if, you know, the Democrats pick any one of them, they're going to piss off the rest of the, the other guys in their constituency. But Michelle Obama, because she was the beloved first lady, and he used the word lady uh, <laughs> uh, very carefully here. Um, uh, and uh, now they're going to bring her on. And you know who's going to be running the show. It's not going to be her. It's going to be her husband. And it is really dangerous because they're going to finish off the United States at this point. Barack Obama, I think history is going to look back on it as uh, the most treasonous, anti-American politician president in the history of our country. I think everything that's happening now negative in this country, the border being wide open, the invasion of these aliens, uh, the intentional bankruptcy of our country, the corruption of our children in schools, the wokeness, uh, all this homelessness that's going on, all comes from Obama. And Biden's not running anything, but Obama's running this whole Biden administration. It's all Obama people. And they're so far left, and they're so Marxist, communist, whatever you want to call them, that they're trying to destroy the country. And let me tell you if, uh, why Ted Cruz says it's dangerous, because if Michelle Obama wins, more of what you see now is just going to continue, if not get worse. And it will be the final nail in America's coffin. But I think he's right. And, you know, you saw Gavin Newsom saying he's not going to run and everything else. I, I think they know exactly how they're going to play this off. So what are you going to do? All of a sudden... Michelle Obama parachutes in in August and she's going to campaign for a few months and then we're going to vote for it. That's the way it's going to work. Meanwhile, Trump's going to be in court the whole time trying to stay out of jail. It's insane. That's where we are politically in America right now. It's awful. All right, you're not pissed off enough yet. Uh, let's let's go here. Um, the Washington National Cathedral in Washington D.C. unveiled a set of four new stained glass windows on Saturday, each dedicated to the theme of racial justice. I'm looking at these right now. It's unbelievable. This is a church. Um, These new installations have replaced the previous windows, which had honored Confederate generals Robert E. Lee and Thomas Stonewall Jackson. 
The old windows, in place since 1953, were originally intended to promote reconciliation between the North and the South. The new stained glass windows, collectively titled Now and Forever, depict scenes of demonstrators participating in marches and protests. Among the demonstrators, some carrying signs that read fairness and no foul play as they move across the four windows. During the dedication ceremony, artist Kerry James Marshall, who designed the windows, emphasized that this change in symbolism aims to address the historical breach of America's promise of liberty and justice for all. Unbelievable. It just doesn't end with this woke craziness. Uh, uh, I don't know. Let's end with this. Um, My grandfather was born in uh, 1900. It was easy to know what age he was, based on whatever year it was. Um, And he came to the United States when he was 20 years old, in 1920. And he never went back to Italy. Never saw his mother, his father, his sister or brothers again. Could you imagine that? 20 years old, leaving your country, never to return. Um, That blows me away. It always did. My grandfather was a wonderful man. I, I'm named after him. His name is Louis Jean Scatigna, and that is exactly my name. Uh, he's one of the two uh, wisest, uh, holy, uh, moral men that I know, the other one being my dad. The two people I look up to most, the two men I look up to most in my life were my father and my grandfather. Um, but he was born in 1900. Now, people nowadays complain about, especially kids, how things are bad and how, how times are tough for them. But imagine being born in 1900. I came across this on the internet. Uh, I've had it in my bag for a year. I, I just never got to it. So imagine being born in 1900. When you're 14 years old, World War I begins. And it ends when you're 18. With 22 million dead. Now, my grandfather fought in World War I for the Italians, which was the enemy of the United States at the time. Uh, he told me stories of trench warfare that uh, are crazy. Shortly after the world pandemic flu called the Spanish flu killed 50 million people in 2018. You go out alive and free and you are 20 years old. Then at age of 29, you survived the global economic crisis that started with the collapse of the New York Stock Exchange, causing inflation, unemployment, and hunger. Nazis came to power in 1933, when he was 33 years old. You're 39 when World War II begins. And it ends when you're 45 during the Holocaust. Six million Jews died. And there were a total more than 60 million dead. Imagine that, 60 million dead in World War II. I mean, that's hard to fathom that that many people can die in a world war. How many people would die now in World War III if it became nuclear? That number would look low. Uh, On your 52nd birthday, the Korean War begins. When you're 64, the Vietnam War begins and ends when you're 75. A baby born in 1985 believes his grandparents have no idea how hard life is. 
a boy born in uh, 1995 and who's uh, 25 now, believes at the end of the world, it's the end of the world when his Amazon package takes more than three days to arrive, or if he doesn't exceed 15 likes for his posted photo on Facebook or Instagram. In 2020, many of us live in comfort, have access to various sources of entertainment at home, and often have more than we need. But people complain about everything. They have electricity, phone, food, hot water, and a roof over their heads. None of this existed. But humanity survived much more serious circumstances and never lost the joy of life. Maybe it's time to be less selfish. Stop whining and crying. Yeah, you know, you talk to anybody who's in their 80s, 90s, uh, and they'll tell you how tough life was in the world in the 20th century. All right, that does it for our midweek Wednesday podcast. Uh, Please join me Sunday. We'll have it up by uh, usually 7 a.m., but certainly up by 9 a.m. on Sunday. Tell people about the program. Uh, share the link to, with all your friends. Put it on social media. You want to get in touch with me, Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Simply Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. And as always, I offer a no obligation, at least one hour consultation to uh, go over all your finances, your investments, talk about inflation, show you ways to protect yourself. Uh, just call my office at 732-905-8100 or just send me an email that you'd like to come in uh, at lou at thefinancialphysician.com. See you Sunday, and always remember, I'm not far right. I'm just right so far. <laughs>